the apostles returned to Jesus, and they told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he, that's Jesus, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countrysides and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. This is God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated now. Um, we've just heard God's word read. Uh, I'm going to pray and ask that by a spirit he would help us to hear what we need to hear, see what we need to see. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you for gathering us together uh, on this Sunday. Uh, thank you for your pursuit. Thank you for not leaving us in the dark. You are a God who has spoken. You long to make yourself known. You have given us this word, and you've given us the word made flesh, your son, which this word points to. I pray, Lord, that by your spirit you would open our eyes uh, to see Jesus uh, as he truly is, that you would open our ears to hear um, your truth, uh, and that you would open our hearts to receive what it is you want to impress upon us today, what it is you want to communicate to us today, that we might believe Jesus, um, that you would give faith, that you would strengthen faith. I pray all of these things, Lord, in the name of your Son, Jesus. this thing called COVID was spiraling out of control and that classes would be canceled for the next two weeks. Or so they thought. Uh, Will and I then boarded a plane. We flew to Idaho where we met up with my wife, Megan, who was leading a backcountry ski trip uh, with some students in Idaho. But when we returned uh, to the East Coast and we drove from Boston to Burlington, it felt like we were in some low-budget zombie movie. The lit up signs on the highway were flashing COVID, COVID, warning, COVID. My family was tired and hungry from all of the travel. And go figure, all of the restaurants were closed. 
So when we got to Burlington, our first stop was not our home, but the grocery store. And sure enough, it had been cleaned out. And it was at that moment that I truly felt afraid. The next day, am I trying to make sense of everything that was going on out there, as well as everything that was going on in here, I wrote a very short poem, a haiku to be exact, and it goes like this. When worst comes to worst, should I plant a garden or should I buy a gun? When worst comes to worst, should I plant a garden or should I buy a gun? I really wrestled with these questions and what is at the heart of these questions for most of 2020. And maybe you did too. And as a new year dawns, we're going to have to wrestle with them some more. As a pandemic continues to surge and our nation slides further into chaos, what are you going to do? Will you become defensive and possessive and self-consumed? Or will you live sacrificially vulnerably and generously. The choice is before us today as we open up God's word. When worse comes to worse, will you plant a garden or will you buy a gun? Our passage picks up where verse 11 leaves off. At the beginning of this chapter, Jesus calls the 12 disciples to himself, and he sends them out two by two. The disciples get to work. They start preaching and teaching. They're casting out demons. They're anointing the sick. They're healing folks. And in verse 30, where our passage begins, we see the disciples return to Jesus, and they tell him what they've been up to. They tell him we've been working really hard. It's been a grind. They're tired. They're worn out. And not only are they tired and worn out, they are hungry. If you look at verse 31, it says they were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. I think a lot of us can relate to the disciples at the start of this scene. You know, when the pandemic struck in March, so many things changed, right? Things moved online. And for us, this didn't mean less work, it meant more. Meant more meetings, not less, right? Uh, more things to do, not less. We have uh, new words to describe this new normal, right? Zoom fatigue. Social distancing and spreading everything out and everyone out has meant more work, not less. You all know this, right? Putting together a worship service during a pandemic is two or at least three times harder than it was before. And parents, you know this, right? Getting our kids ready for school and out the door takes longer now. It's not shorter. We have to do temperature checks. We've got to make sure they've got their face masks, pump hand sanitizer, right? Things are harder, not easier. And at the start of 2021, all of us are exhausted. We are tired and we're hungry. We're running on empty. We're running on fumes. We need rest, right? We need rejuvenation. 
In verse 30, Jesus presents a solution. He says to the, to the disciples, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Y'all have worked really hard. I see what you're going through. I, I feel your pain. Let's give you a vacation. Let's give you right, some hard-won rest. But y'all, there's a problem. Right away, there's a problem. Look at verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns, and they got there ahead of them. This time of rest that they were looking forward to, maybe that you were looking forward to, it ain't happening. The people that they wanted a break from, they are running after them, and they beat them to the spot that they were going. The people that you want to get away from, you're in quarantine with. You're stuck at home with. The things that made 2020 so hard, the things that you want to run away from, things like a global pandemic or racial injustice, political turmoil, unemployment, school closures, fill in the blank. Guess what, friends? They're all going with us into the new year. And even more is being added to our plate. We cannot get the distance, it seems, we need from our needs, from the chaos. Boundaries are collapsing. Margins are being erased. You all know what margins are, right? It's those in-between spaces that we so depended on for our sanity. That car ride to work where we could finally listen to our music and not Willis Disney mix, right? That elevator ride. Or that walk up the stairs to the next meeting where you could at least catch your breath before you step into the next thing. Now it's one thing to the next, immediately with the click of a button. That quiet study of yours that is now doubling up as a classroom and an office and a gym and so on. Our margins are erased. And we see what happens when you take away buffers. You remove buffers like wetlands and what do you get? You get a flood. You take away buffers like medians, and what you get is head-on collisions. You remove these things. It is easy for lines to get crossed and for people to get hurt. And it's so easy for us to begin to resent the people that we are called to love and to serve. Y'all, the disciples who were tired and hungry at the beginning of this passage are now hangry. They're that hungry, angry, right? I want you to compare and contrast the reaction of the disciples to the crowds with Jesus. In verse 34, Jesus is filled with compassion. He sees the crowds as sheep without a shepherd. And he ministers to them. The text says, And he began to teach them many things. And no doubt, he is preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Right? The good news that God saves sinners. And that he, Jesus, is going to make everything wrong right again. Now I picture the disciples at this point on the sidelines. And if they had watches on, they'd be looking at it. And tapping their feet. Or maybe they'd be like Willa the last time I took her here to Christ church. Right? And uh, the service had ended. 
and it was time to go home, and she was slouching in the chair and saying, Daddy, it's time to go. <laughs> We're walking out the door when somebody pulls me aside, and she puts her chin in her hands, and she sighs and goes, Oh, right? This is taking forever, right? This is, this is the disciples, right? Here, in this scene, they are tired, they're hungry, and now they're hangry, and it is starting to come out sideways. The hour's now late, and the disciples essentially say, all right, party's over, enough is enough. This is, a desolate, this is a desolate place, Jesus, and the hour's now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. This is one of the rare places in Scripture. It doesn't happen much. It happens here where you hear the disciples telling Jesus what to do. They're giving him orders. I want you to think about that for a moment. They're not asking of Jesus. They are demanding. They are commanding. They are giving orders. And what they are telling Jesus to do is to shoo these people away. Right? Get them out of here. Let them fend for themselves. Jesus essentially says, no. He answers them, you give them something to eat. And this brings us to the climax of the passage. This, and not the miracle that follows, is really the dramatic high point. It's the 11th hour. The disciples are hangry. The crowds are hangry. And Jesus turns to his people and he says, you give them something to eat. At this point, the disciples are incredulous. Jesus, you have got to be kidding me. That's my paraphrase. But they say, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? It's a rhetorical question. The frustration is spilling out. They are like shaken Coke bottles, and Jesus has just opened up the cap. And their frustration is bubbling up and it is foaming out. Jesus, you are asking too much. The problems are too big. The people are too many. And we have so little left in our tank. Jesus responds, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. Go back to the boat. What they find is that they have five loaves and two fish. But what Jesus is asking is distressing. It's distressing, not simply because it reveals their inadequacies. Five loaves, two fish. It's distressing because this was their lunch. The food that they had packed for themselves. Remember? The food that they were finally going to have a chance to eat. And now Jesus wants them to give that away. To give that to the crowds. Now I'm fairly certain at this point that the thought must have surely crossed their minds. Jesus wants me to feed them while I starve. 
Jesus cares more about the people all around me than he does about me. What follows is miraculous. Jesus feeds 5,000 men, and maybe just as many women and children. And he does so with the disciples' lunch. And clearly this is a miracle. If Jesus isn't blessing the food, right, if Jesus doesn't get involved, everyone is going home hungry. But here is what is remarkable about this passage. If you were in the crowd that day, and if you were sitting in one of those groups on the green grass, and I asked you, hey, who fed you today? I doubt you would have said Jesus. And here's why. Look at verse 41. It says, And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he, that's Jesus, looked up to heaven, and he said a blessing, and he broke the loaves, and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. So, question for this church who's in attendance that day. Who fed you? The answer might come back, uh, Mark? James? Andrew? Thomas? And church, what did he feed you with? He gave me some fish and some bread. I think it was their lunch. See, the miracle of this passage is not simply that Jesus fed 5,000. The miracle of this passage is that Jesus' disciples get to participate in it. The miracle is that a bunch of tired, hungry people can feed a bunch of other tired, hungry people. The miracle is also that with our little, he can do a lot. With our little, he can do a lot. Today is January 10, 2021. For a year now, we have been fighting this coronavirus and dealing with all of the complications that go along with it. For over a year now, we have been caught up in an election cycle, which in some ways has put more distance between us and our neighbors and between us and our loved ones than a pandemic ever could. That's ironic. When you or people you know start losing their jobs, and when millions of Americans need to be vaccinated, but we've only got tens or several hundred thousand so far, or when you go to the grocery store and the shelves are cleaned out, when you see and you experience these sort of things, it is very easy for a scarcity mindset to set in. This thought, this feeling that the problems are too great and too many, that there is not enough food to go around, that I need to fend for myself, that I need to look out for number one. And when this mindset takes over, we start hoarding. We don't just start hoarding toilet paper and canned goods. We start hoarding our time. We start hoarding our money. We start hoarding our life. This mentality, there's not enough to go around, turns us inward. And we end up living lives that look like golems, right? Hunched over, over our precious precious time, our precious money. We become shadow creatures of our glory selves. Persons who were made in the image of a generous, loving God. 
Y'all know the story of Eric Liddell? Eric Liddell was the gold medalist at the 1924 Olympics. His story is told in the movie Chariots of Fire. But did you know that after the Olympics, Eric went on to become a missionary in China? And did you know that during World War II, he was captured by the Japanese and thrown into an internment camp? Now, the conditions in that camp were awful. Food and medicine were scarce. And prisoners in the camp, well, they started looking out for themselves. Right? They created cliques, and they stole from one another, and they hoarded food. They lived hunched over golem-like lives, dehumanized. But not Eric Liddell. He did not worry about himself. He spent tireless hours caring for elderly prisoners and teaching classes on the Bible and science and organizing games and dances for children right until the day that he died in that camp. His decision to plant a garden and not buy a gun, you could say, not only kept people alive, his generosity changed lives and saved lives for all of eternity. See, in a desolate place like that, people encountered God. They encountered the generosity of God, and they did so through a man like Eric Liddell, who was just as poor as they were, but who made a decision to live generously, to share. And with his little, Eric Little, did a lot. Y'all, God wants to do the same thing to us today, this year, and beyond. You and I are not living in a World War II internment camp, but that doesn't mean you and I don't feel the pressures and cross-pressures towards self-preservation and protection. We feel them. I feel them. Can anything break this spell? I can tell you what won't work my telling you simply to be a generous person. That is not going to work. My telling you, you ought to do this, is not going to work. But here's what will. Knowing the generosity of God for you. Knowing that God loves you. Knowing that he cares about you. Knowing that he has his mind on you and hasn't forgotten you. Look, if you know this, not just up here, but in here, it will transform you. It will make you into a generous person like Eric Liddell. You will be free to let go and free to plant a garden, as it were. And this is where our story lands. It ends with 12 baskets full of food. We afraid there's not enough to go around. Jesus lays those fears to rest. Look, we began today's story with a bunch of tired, hungry disciples. They're angry, they're irritable, they're ticked off at the crowds, the very ones that Jesus wants them to serve. They've been asked to give up their lunch, right? the very little that they have left to feed the hungry, even though they are hungry too. And they're wondering, does Jesus love me as much as them? And Jesus puts those fears to rest. Look at verse 43. It says here at the end of our passage, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. 
This is not a rhetorical question. You can answer this out loud. Why is the number 12 in this passage significant? Anyone know? There's 12 of them. There's 12 of them. Here's the point. The Jesus who is asking you to give up your lunch wants to serve you a feast each and every day. He is trustworthy. And he's not treating you like a lunchable. Remember those? Those nasty snacks, right? It's like processed meat and cheese and crackers that you would just take everything that's inside and then throw the rest of the way. Jesus does not treat you like a lunchable. He's not interested in just having what you've got and then discarding you like trash. He wants to use you. And he wants to use what you've got. But then he wants to fill you up as well. He cares about the people that you are serving. But he cares a whole lot about you too. And when that gets inside, you can let go of things, can't you? You can share. The text says they all ate and were satisfied. I love that. They all ate satisfied you're tired and hungry they're tired and hungry we all have the same needs we all need the same one and Jesus does not and he cannot and he will not disappoint this passage starts with zoom fatigue and it ends with a picnic on the lawn it starts with hungry people and it ends with bellies full it starts with emptiness, and it ends with pure satisfaction. It starts with a little. It ends with a lot. It starts with scarcity, and it ends with generosity. It starts with social distancing, and it ends with solidarity. It starts with desolation, and it ends with community. It starts with doubt. And it ends with trust. You all, you don't have to produce the miracle. Jesus just wants you to share your lunch. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And then taste and see that he is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your generosity to us. The generosity of your creation and everything that we have presented to our senses. The generosity of your salvation. The gift of your son. Who though he was rich became poor so that we might be enriched. So that we who are on the outside might be brought inside we who are hungry might be full and satisfied. Lord, as we move to this table, I pray we would have an experience of your grace and of your generosity to us. That these wouldn't just be words that we hear, it's food that we eat, that we get inside of us. And having been fed, by you, I pray we would be changed by you. And I pray the effect of that would be more feeding of our neighbors and more love to go around.
And I pray these things in Jesus' name.